This podcast is powered by SEM Wealth Management. SEM Wealth Management, where your faith, your values, and your investments align. Welcome to Journey, the Financial Advisor Experience Podcast. I am Greer Rubling, and I am here with my co-hosts, Ed Dudley and Garland Scott. And today we have a really interesting guest that Ed is going to tell you a little bit about before we bring her in and have a great conversation. That's good. Garland, how are you doing first? Oh, I mean, I, first, of, first of all, I'm hating you right now because you got all that ugly Eagles gear on. And they're four and zero. They'll finish the season, maybe win one playoff, and then they'll go home and go on vacation. Four and zero, number one little team in the NFC. Don't be, don't be salty. Don't hate. Don't hate. I don't hate. Congratulations. I I was Patriots doing this year. Oh, they're garbage. They'll be garbage for a couple years. (laughs) But we ruled for twenty years. I'm pretty sure that you would love to have that kind of record. So, but I digress. So Ed, tell us about our guest. Uh, I know she's harrowing from far away. What's yeah, what's the story? so I'm I'm excited um, for our next guest. Our next guest is hailing all the way from Johannesburg, South Africa, and it is you know it's morning time where we are, but it's like late afternoon where they are. She's a CFP over there, and we connected through a mutual friend, um, someone that we've had on the show, and we've talked a little bit, and we have some mutual acquaintances over there in South Africa, but I thought it would just uh, be great to bring somebody in from across the pond, as they like to say, to just share their journey as financial professionals in another country, because a lot of times here, we're in the States, we have this narrow vision that everything starts and ends here in the United States, and it doesn't. Very true. So I'm excited to have our next guest on. So without any further ado, Miss Nikki Kajau, CFP, South Africa, Johannesburg. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Ed. Hi, everyone. Hello. Well, you know, let's let's just jump right into it, Nikki. Um, we so the, the purpose of the podcast is just to highlight your story where you came from, how you got started in the business, maybe some challenges and some hurdles that you had to overcome. Um, we'd just love to hear your story. So if you could just share with us a little bit about you and what brought you to the industry. Sure. Um, so I, I think you've heard before, you know, like many people, I'd say I got into the industry partially by chance and uh, a percentage was intentional. Uh, So when I completed my primary and uh, postgraduate qualification, um, the next step was to uh, look at finding a job. And uh, several years ago in South Africa, it was quite challenging for a young graduate to get into a job without much experience. So in South Africa, a lot of the companies uh, put together what they called graduate recruitment programs, whereby young graduates in different sectors could join these programs. And over a period of time, they would gain experience. And uh, once they gain experience, it would make it a bit more uh, easier for them to go on into other roles. 
So um, my first prize was trying to get into one of the graduate recruitment programs because my studies were linked to investment investments and finance, I looked at the banks and financial services companies, which had graduate recruitment programs. As you can imagine, there's thousands and thousands of graduates who graduate on an annual basis, and everyone's trying to get into a graduate program, which just has uh, very few spots available. I was very fortunate that I was able to land a role at a graduate recruitment program at one of the top four banks. So I considered myself exceptionally lucky, and that is how I actually moved to Johannesburg. So I joined the graduate recruitment program and being a bank, um, the whole idea around the program was for all the graduates to uh, rotate or intern at the different divisions within the bank for a period of 18 to 24 months. And once the rotations were over, they would then identify an area which they felt that they would like to continue pursuing a career um, at. So that was how the, how the um, graduate recruitment program worked. So I started off the program and I was one of those, I don't know, maybe fortunate, unfortunate ones who was able to complete my rotations over a period of less than a year as opposed to 18 months. The next step thereafter was a discussion with our management in terms of where do I next go. Now, being very young and new to industry, uh, they identified me as an excellent candidate to go into the role of a private banker. So off I go to join all the other private bank training as a junior private banker. And at that point in time, the value proposition for that particular bank was that all bankers worked with financial planners. And I thought, wow, this is interesting. So as I'm busy with my, um, with my, um, you know, on the job learning, I get exposed to the work of a financial planner. And I found myself thinking, listen, I think I would work better as a financial planner, as opposed to working as a banker. And I also took into account uh, my studies being investment and finance linked in my primary and post-grad qualification. I decided to approach management to find out if I could move across from banking to financial planning. At that point in time, because they had earmarked me as one of their star candidates and they were quite keen on furthering their interests, which was to get me qualified as a private banker, they weren't willing to entertain the discussion. So the next best thing for me to do was to go out to the market. I connected with a few different recruitment agents and I was able to land a position at uh, one of the insurers. And that was how I kicked off my journey as a financial planner at one of the insurance companies in Johannesburg in South Africa. That's wow. <laughs> that is a good story. <laughs> I find hey, it very intriguing that, sorry, um, I find it intriguing that you, you wanted to stay in the same industry, possibly even with the same company, but they weren't willing to entertain your interests. And, and so instead of cutting the losses of 
them thinking that you were going to take one position to put you into a position that you thought that you were better suited for, they lost you altogether. And I feel like the industry is very, um, that that happens a lot in this industry. It is very common in South Africa, Gria. I mean, I was pretty disappointed because I would have loved to further pursue my career at that particular bank. Uh, but, you know, I think you reach a stage where you've got to make important decisions. And I was pretty young in my career and quite certain that financial planning was more suited to me as opposed to banking. And I had two choices, you know, either stay, be a banker and not see what the other side offered or alternatively make a courageous move. Look, look at what's out there, you know, and uh, take a step towards what I felt was my dream at that point in time and clearly has since come into reality. That's amazing. I commend you for that choice, for making that Thank hard you. decision. Garland, you want to say something? Earlier? I was just going to ask you. So in the States, and we've had this discussion on, on many podcasts, um, you know, before this, I always want to know what the environment is for for a minority, for, for a, a female in South Africa, because Greer can illuminate what it's like for a female here in the States and how challenging our industry can be. And Ed and I can both illuminate what it's like to be persons of color um, here in the States. But can you give us your flavor on how it is, um, generally speaking, in, in Johannesburg? Sure, I can, Garland. So I'd say when I first started off in the industry many years ago, um, it was far more challenging as a minority than what it is. And uh, the reason being, if you're familiar with the history of South Africa and just briefly touching into the past when it comes to apartheid, etc., you know, we were still pretty new in terms of a new democracy. So minority and especially minority in terms of uh, males and females working in corporates in professional careers was still pretty unheard of at that point in time. You know, it was pretty much of a new phenomenon. So it was a bit challenging in those days, you know, starting off, because then you really stood out. Like, you know, it wasn't uncommon to go for conventions or conferences or meeting whereby you could count 100 people in the room, of which only five people were people of color, you know. Since then, as more and more um, younger entrants have come into the industry, Things have changed, but I'd say looking um, presently in terms of 2022, yes, I mean, the challenges of the past, they're still there. They're not as bad as what it was. It has become slightly easier, but nonetheless, it's still difficult. Let me give you a few examples. You know, I mean, um, in different countries, we have different cultures. Wealth is spread amongst different cultures, different age groups, etc., now, in South Africa, because of our history and the past, um, you find a lot of network clients tend to be more network clients who are white. You know, the new, we call it new money in South Africa. The new money that's coming in is what we call transformation or more black money, so to speak. But it's not uncommon as a minority financial planner to walk into a room where a client has set up an appointment only to find out, oh, actually, this person is actually a person of color because, I mean, the name Nikki is universal, guys. And in a lot of 
cases, a lot of people get get surprised to actually see a female walking in because they assume that I'm a male, you know, and even with my surname as well, it's a lot of people don't look at it and think, ah, oh, it's a surname of a minority person. They just can't tell. So people make a lot of assumptions. So going back to my example, you walk into a meeting, there's a more senior male client who's white, a high net worth client, totally blown over because firstly, you not a male, you're a female. And then over, over and above that, you look much younger than what you possibly are. And then to add to it, oh, actually you're a female who's a female of minority, but nonetheless well qualified. And then a client's left with the choice, you know, do you proceed working with Nikki or do you politely find some sort of excuse and cancel or postpone the meeting and you exit? And it's absolutely amazing, hey? Um, some people are honest enough and they'd say, I'm not comfortable dealing with a female or a female of minority. And I appreciate and I respect that. And I thank clients, but I very, very politely let them know that irrespective of my culture, racial background, etc., I am very competent. And I have written the board exams very much like all CFPs out there. And I feel that uh, in my viewpoint, you should not judge a, pe a person uh, based on, on where they come from and rather look at their level of competence and experience. And then you have clients, once they get over the initial shock, you know, they, they start working with you. And sometimes they're very honest as you start forming a relationship. And, you know, they say to you, you know, at the first meeting, I was really uncertain whether we should proceed, but nonetheless, I decided to proceed. And I'm quite, um, and, and I'm actually now happy that I decided to move ahead with this relationship with yourself as my certified financial planner, because it's grown to such a, a, a fulfilling, rewarding relationship. And we can clearly see your competence levels are quite high. You packaged that up like it didn't affect you at all. I got, yeah. I gotta be, I gotta be honest with you. If 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 I'm telling that story, I probably got a little spice on my tongue. <laughs> a little, <laughs> yeah, a lot. You know me, Ed. So it, it leads me to the next thing. Are you you sum that up and just rush that off like, hey, you know, sometimes they have to make a decision and then it'll let me. Okay, how does that make you feel in that moment? Do you get a little hot under the collar? Sure, definitely a little hot or under the collar, you know, because I'm a person who believes uh, people should be given an opportunity based on their competence level, you know, culture, background, everything aside. And yes, it is very frustrating. It is very annoying. And yes, sometimes it may clearly reflect in terms of my body language, my tone, uh, in the manner in which I come across, you know, and I've got to be very mindful of that and just mindful of the fact that you've got to respect people's preferences. You know, you can't force yourself onto someone. If someone doesn't feel comfortable as, 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 frustrating as it is and you can see that it's not because of competence it's more coming from the fact that you're representing a minority race you've just got to be the bigger person you know uh, just be polite and um, just exit the 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 meeting you know gracefully and go out to the corridors and scream shout uh, <laughs> break things or do whatever you need to do to rela release that pent-up anger 
Mickey, what you everything that you just said summed up everything that we experience here in the States as well. Absolutely wow. everything. Absolutely everything. So it's showing us that irrespective of location, geograph, that this is still happening, um, where traditionally people of color and women are fighting the same battles, same hurdles, no matter where they are in the financial services industry. So that was that was really, really interesting and telling, um, telling, telling to me. Um, so you, you go on your path to uh, you leave the firm that you with, join another, join another institution um, as a, the CFP there. We talked a little bit about some of the clients shock that uh, you are um, an advisor, but I'd love to go back just way back to Nikki and university. Sure. At what point did you decide that, you know, I want a career in financial services and then why? Okay, so I think, Ed, this would actually be during my high school career, you know, um, when you're reaching grade 11, grade 12, and where to from here. So I think I'd like to share something uh, uh, a bit personal in terms of, you know, you ask, where do I come from? So something very personal. Um, I haven't always lived in Johannesburg. My career brought me to Johannesburg. I was actually uh, born and brought up in a little town uh, in, a, in a province in South Africa called KwaZulu-Natal. So the little town is called Newcastle, and it's a very, very small town. By no means is it a city. Now, because it was a smaller town, uh, the norm there was when uh, young women completed high school, they would either get married or they'd move into a job within that small little town, you know? And I was very clear at a very young age that I was not going to become one of those women. As soon as I was able to pronounce the word university, I knew I was going there. I didn't know what I was going to be studying or anything, but I knew that that was going to be my ticket out of that small town, you know? And um, I was also fortunate in terms of my upbringing my dad was a very progressive person, so he always encouraged me as a female to be very independent in all aspects of my life, be it financially, emotionally, etc. So at a very young age, you know, the plan with my mom and dad was always with me being the oldest, I would be leaving home someday and I would be going to university. Um, as I grew older, unfortunately, my dad passed on when I was 14 years old. As I mentioned, I was the oldest of three kids. My two younger brothers were 12 and six. My mom was 42 at that point in time. And at that point in time, she had never worked a day in her life. She actually stayed at home and she raised my brothers and myself while my dad ran his own business. So when my dad passed on at the age of 42, my mom was a widow a single mom having to raise three kids. And most importantly, she now had to manage the household finances. My dad was prudent enough to have left, have made provisions for us financially. So that was there. But the challenge was my mom didn't have a high level of financial literacy and she was unable to actually manage the finances. You know, she knew she had to invest monies for myself and my brothers to get to university because that was always the plan. But as I grew up as a young teen, I watched how she actually struggled with that. Simple concepts 
like budgeting for the household. That was a terminology that was extremely foreign to my mom because my dad earned, my dad, my dad did the budgeting. And all she did was she raised the kids. Uh, she took care of the, the household stuff, you know, buying the groceries, the cooking, the cleaning, that type of thing. But my dad managed all the expenses. And I noticed for the first two to three years, my mom actually had to um, ask for assistance from my aunts and uncles just to help her maneuver and just get to basic things, basic concepts for you and I, like budgeting, you know. So when I was ready to go to university, I knew that finance had to be one of my majors. There was no way I was not going to do finance, you know, but I was like uncertain finance, law, that type of thing. So my primary and postgrad qualifications incorporated uh, both commercial law as well as finance. But when I went into my postgrad studies, then it was just banking, finance and investments, because at that point in time, having gone through my primary degree, um, I found a natural love for finance. And I felt that that was definitely the career that I would have wanted to embark on going forward. So it's a combination of two things, one being my personal experience. And also, let me be quite open and honest, at that point in time, people in the financial field, whether it was finance, accounting, investments, etc., were were some of the top performers in the country at that point in time. And let me be quite honest, of course, I was looking forward to the financial reward. That's a, that's a terrible story, but one that you know, I think that a lot of people can relate to some of them not in this, you know, not exactly in the same way in that something like that happening to a family could ruin a family. It could, it could ruin the traje trajectory of their entire adult experiences because instead of identifying that as an opportunity to learn something, they, you know, it could it could just be an opportunity where one person in a family is now gone and that person was in charge of everything and all of a sudden everything is falling apart around you and you don't know how to handle it. And so I give you a lot of credit for identifying that as the catalyst for wanting to learn and um, better your knowledge about that particular thing and for that to also never happen to you and for you to understand it and, and want to grow from it so um i am i'm sorry that that happened to you but it sounds like it was part of your journey and it's part of the reason that you're here now so thank you for telling us that it's very um i think a lot of people will resonate with that and it could help some people in the future if something like that were ever to happen to them thanks Greta. so i want to i want to go back um you, you made a comment uh, going to some different industry events um, and there's a room of a hundred people plus <laughs> and there's five people of color. So I, I'll share a real quick story. When I first moved to North Carolina, um, we started working for a company and we go to my first sales conference with them. There were maybe 200, 300 people in there. There was one person of color. Happens to be me. Garland, you would know this gentleman's name because he came right up to me 
Chris Eller walked over to me, looked at me, and says, Chris Eller says, are you okay? I'm like, what do you mean? I knew what he meant, meant but I want him to say it. He says, um, this, this is a room full of white people. <laughs> how can we change this? So I, I'd, I know how I felt um, the very first time I was in that environment, um, but I'd love to know how, how you felt the very first time you walked in the room um, and you didn't see a lot of people that looked like you represent you. Um, what was that like for you? So it, um, it was actually quite scary, you know, and a little intimidating as well, because in South Africa, amongst the financial planners, we have what we call an aging financial planning population. So um, most financial planners in South Africa are males, uh, they white and they age 65 and over, right? So for me, it was a sort of double whammy, you know, walking into a room um, that's predominantly male, predominantly white male, you know, and much, much senior people, you know, if my dad were alive, these would be like he's, you know, within his sort of age category type of thing. And also as a much younger person, um, you know, and, and coming from, from a culture where respect is important as well, is also now as much as I'm, I'm shocked and surprised at, at what's happening in this room, but also just to be able to show some sense of respect as well, you know, in terms of how you actually uh, greet and interact with these people from that perspective. But for me, I mean, I found it exceptionally shocking, you know, and uh, I also found myself wondering why is it that more people of color don't actually come into this industry. So, so I, I, I'm going to switch it because I'm going to ask Garland a question. Oh boy! And I know we're I know we're interviewing Nikki, but Garland, when oh you first walked into that space, how did you feel? Um, I, I think the same as Nikki because, first of all, I didn't know that was going to be the case. I had no idea. Um, I was doing it in the South in Charlotte. Um. So I really didn't know. And then, you know, the way I am, I, I interpret everything into sort of a, a personal battle, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm asking the same question you just asked. Why in the world am I the only one in this room that looks like me? Where are all the black folks at? That, literally, that's exactly what, what I remember saying. I, I think a better example of this happened actually years later while I was actually on stage presenting um, at a SEMA conference, 250 people. And I am literally finding maybe one or two other guys uh, that look like me, no women in that audience at all, none. And this was 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And I'm going, I cannot believe this industry is still sort of back in the 80s, 70s, 60s with this little diversification um, with, with something that pertains to everybody. Everyone has to deal with some financial either burden, calamity, change of situation, whatever it is throughout our lives. How in the world can we be this misrepresented? And that was that's the thing that kind of sticks out. And so like Nikki, um, the first time was a little angry, a little fear. The second time was like, holy smoke, what can we do? Nikki, I actually, that's a good segue. Are you able to, in your capacity, able to do um things in your community to to help the situation if so what what are you able to do 
Sure, definitely. Um, so, I mean, as CFPs, we belong to the Financial Planning Institute of Southern Africa, right? So they do often uh, offer a lot of um, what we call pro bono events where you can actually go out there and assist the community. So at these events, I use the time um, well, apart from assisting clients with their financial matters, if I find, uh, you know, in conversation, if a client says, hey, I've got two kids, they're currently in high school, and, you know, I'd ask, so are they looking at studying um, once they complete grade 12? What are they looking at studying? Uh, have they ever considered a career in financial planning? If they're interested, they're more than welcome to give me a call, or alternatively, can I give them a call? Um, so those are some of the things I do. Also, on various occasions, I do a lot of different speaker events. And um, I often find that uh, people will come up to me after an event with a few questions, that type of thing. Or sometimes people will actually ask, how would one pursue a career in financial planning? But the one most closest to my heart, um, I do a lot of pro bono work for a non-governmental organization uh, here in South Africa called 1828. So this particular organization um, works with young women who are going to university and they source funding for their studies. So the work that I do with these ladies is around assisting them manage um, their donor or bursary money, right? So you'll find a company will award um, money to a particular young lady for her first three years of studies to complete her primary degree in finance. And for the first year, they'd give her money to pay for her accommodation for, um, for, for, uh, for whatever she needs, her books, accommodation, um, uh, living expenses, that type of thing. Now in South Africa, because these young women come from previously disadvantaged backgrounds, where they possibly have never in their lifetimes even received pocket money, they are sitting with huge lump sums of money in their bank account. This is supposed to go for living expenses. And what the organization found that within the first month, these women would blow the money. They'd buy smartphones, tablets, they'll have their hair done, they'd buy designer clothing, um, they'd just buy stuff, you know? And these monies are supposed to go for books and living expenses. And at the end of month number one, they go back to the organization and say, sorry, we need more money. We don't have any money left. And now the founder of the organization found herself in a situation where she's too embarrassed to go back to the donor and say, oh, you know, the lump sum that you gave to this particular um, candidate, uh, because of poor management, they've now finished all the money. So that was when they actually contacted me and said to me, Nikki, as a certified financial planner, this is a problem that we're facing with these young ladies. They do not know how to manage money. Can you do two things? Firstly, assist them in terms of managing their money. So basic concepts in terms of budgeting, etc. But also I found as I started working with these young ladies, they started taking interest in a career in financial planning. And then they would ask me, Nikki, you know, we've got a few uh, mates and they're quite interested in financial planning. 
can we ask them to give you a call or would you be willing to speak to them about a career path in financial planning? So because of that, on an annual basis, when the, uh, when the uh, particular organization has their events, they always invite me as a speaker from a dual perspective, want to speak about pursuing a career in financial planning, and then from another perspective, just to speak about young women managing their finances. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I'm almost blown away by that. So it starts off as we call that the lottery effect here in the States. So, you know, someone hits the lottery five years later, they're, they're back to being broke or filing bankruptcy. Um, I can only imagine if I was given a lump sum of money at 18, 19, 20 years old, because I know me, that money is Corbett. That's water down my head. <laughs> so, um, so, but not only did you go and fix their problem, which is, okay, let's, let's, let's rustle these women back in and say, listen, the, the tablet's not that important. Getting your hair done is not that important. This money is for the bigger picture. You also then were able to, I mean, to, to spark an interest in this industry based on, I'm assuming, your approach, your professionalism, the knowledge that you're giving these folks so that now they themselves are going, well, I want to be like Nikki and I can go and help other women. By the way, I have friends that are also going through the same problem and they have some interest. Hey, will you be a mentor, if you will, to these people as well? That's that's pretty remarkable. Garland, I believe that someday when I exit, if I've made a difference in at least one person's life, I can exit gracefully. That sounds like you already have and, and, and that you're continuing to do it. So, I mean, I, I simply applaud that. Um, you want to talk, talk about getting right down to the grassroots of it? That's as close to the grassroots as you can get. She's doing it. Literally. I mean, that's, that's even better than going into schools because it's a real live situation where they've seen sort of the error of their ways and now you're teaching them how to fish right it's pretty cool but garland for me it goes much further you know because by empowering these young ladies and students when they earn their first paycheck they've already got the discipline in terms of how is it that they manage their first paycheck because i'm uncertain what happens in the states but that's another huge problem here in South Africa as well. You know, you find people land their first job. There's a huge amount of money in the bank account. What is the first thing they go and do? You know, they either spend it by a brand new car, which they possibly cannot afford or do not need because the purpose of a vehicle is just to get you from point A to point B, right? It need not be a luxury vehicle with your first paycheck. Just simple things like even getting your first apartment or, or furnishing your first apartment or just clothing for your first job. You know, I can spend hours telling you stories that I hear from clients. And why do they mismanage their monies? Because they were never taught how to actually handle their first paycheck, you know? So... Do you have like a program or something that you put together that you go through with these students? And can you talk about how you kind of created that? And I think a lot of people are going to be um, motivated by this story to want to kind of do something a little bit similar and help as many other women or 
anyone in the industry that they can. So um, can you talk a little bit about how you built that out and how you go about teaching these women and a little bit more about that? Sure. So um, I built out the program by spending many, many hours with these young ladies, getting to understand how each person personally um, spent or misspent their monies, but also taking it a step further to actually get a better understanding in terms of what is it that they were taught about money at home, if anything at all. And that's where I actually found where the biggest gap came in, is that a lot of these ladies are not taught about money at home. And also their parents don't have stable jobs. They're not given pocket money, etc. So they've, they basically copy what their parents do, you know, so if they see their parents are spenders, they immediately like if the if a parent gets paid, the first thing they do will take the money instead of buying food, they may buy they they may buy clothing, or something that isn't a necessity. So it's just my investigations to understand that but then I went back and I actually created a program whereby I look at different aspects. So the first and most important thing, which is very dear to my heart, is the concept of budgeting. And to actually break down what is a budget to give things like um, the difference between an, uh, a fixed cost and a variable cost, uh, the difference between basic things like there's a difference between a want and a need. A pair of jeans is a need, a pair of designer jeans is a want, you know, and just also try and use language um, that would be readily acceptable by the lady, something that was relatable to them, so to speak. So I've put together a particular program with about eight different components, which speaks to a whole lot of different things from budgeting to saving still while you're at university, for planning for your first place, your first car, how to handle your first check, for saving for retirement, for saving according to your investment goals, for risk mitigation, etc. So initially, prior to COVID, I would deliver the workshops from a face-to-face -face perspective. Uh, during the pandemic, I've been delivering it via webinar or via um, other platforms such as Google Hangout or Zoom. And I'm in the process of actually having uh, everything put online. So in future, the ladies can just log on, decide which module they'd like to, um, they'd like to uh, use or retrieve, et cetera, and take it from there. But it's been a much longer process than what I had anticipated. That's great. And this is, a program that you've created just for the specific situation where people are referring women to you to have the discussions, or is this something that you are going to push out to a more general public anytime in the future? So Gria, I'll be looking at pushing this out to a greater public. Uh, the need first arose in terms of the young ladies, but of course, you know, the content is, uh, is, I wouldn't say generic, it is specialist to, to a degree, but you can adapt it uh, according to different audiences. So apart from, from working with young ladies, for some reason or the other, business owners tend to gravitate towards me. And uh, for me, this is something that I enjoy being a business owner myself. 
but also in terms of our economic situation in South Africa, we've currently got an unemployment rate of about 34%. So it's really challenging for people to get jobs or jobs in corporates. So a lot of people are being encouraged to try and pull out that entrepreneurial spirit and explore it, you know. But what, as you are aware, a lot of small businesses fail within the first year. And the reason why they tend to fail is because of the lack of knowledge. And a big part of that is linked to financial literacy. So I'm currently working on a few modules specifically for business owners around aspects um, linked to the business more from a financial perspective, which will hopefully assist keep businesses in business much longer. Great. I'm impressed. I'm so impressed. I'm I'm excited to kind of see what that looks like. I I think that there's a lot of people who want to make a bigger difference, but they're not necessarily sure how to do that. And so I like hearing stories like this because it kind of gives everybody a little bit of an idea on how to reach a bigger audience and how to um, how to teach women and anyone in general a little bit earlier in life, why it's so important to learn these things so that things like what you described, those stories that you described don't happen in the future. So Nikki, I want you to think about your journey um, from when you started to where you are right now. What would you say was your most challenging period and how did that shape the planner an individual that you are today? So Ed, I'd say my most challenging uh, period was about seven and a half years ago. Um, I was then still working at a corporate. I've always had this desire within, um, or should I say dream desire to set up my own practice in the future, you know? And at that point in time, I found myself at crossroads do I continue in a corporate career or do I actually take the plunge and set up my own practice? And for me, it was a very challenging um, time in my life because at that point in time, I was actually, I had just got married and I had also made a huge decision in terms of actually going my separate ways with my husband at that point in time. So it was literally going to be a huge life change for me in terms of a marriage that was ending uh, that obviously would have led to changes in terms of my financial circumstances, my living situation, etc. And then also at that point in time to also say, hey, I'm going to leave the financial stability of a corporate job and the income earned from a corporate job to go out onto my own, set up my practice. Yes, I had spent many years saving towards this goal because I knew it was always going to happen. The when was something that I did not know. I was told by a mentor that there's never a perfect time in life to set up your own practice, to get married, to have a child and other big life decisions, you know. And my mentor urged me to look deep within and be comfortable with whatever decision I was going to make. Because at the end of the day, I would be the only person who would live that through on a daily basis, right? So I took some time out, thought about it, and I thought, listen, if there's so many changes happening in my life, 
hey, I'll see it as another opportunity for growth. There is never going to be a perfect time. Let me go out there and do it. And here I am seven years later. You know, it's been quite a journey with lots of ups and downs, absolutely zero regrets. But actually making that move was one of the most difficult decisions I've ever had to make in my lifetime. Let me just tell you, the decision to divorce was actually much easier than the decision to actually exit a corporate and start up my own practice. <laughs> oh, that was funny. It's so true, though. The, the sentiment of that statement is if you are waiting for the perfect time, you'll be waiting forever. So there's never any perfect time. There's never going to be a catalyst unless you create one for yourself to kind of give you that push to really go and do it on your own. And it is a really, really difficult decision. I made that decision about five years ago. It happened to be while I was pregnant with my second child and we were about to have another daycare payment. And, you know, the same thing I said, do I leave a job where I it know what my salary is and we have everything lined up and we're doing fine, but that makes me extremely unhappy and doesn't further my self fulfillment at all. Or do I take the leap and trust that I, that this thing that I've been considering for many, many years is going to be the right decision. And so it's, you know, there's, I do think that there are events in our life that make us kind of make those decisions. And they're not always the events that maybe seem like the right time, but they shift something in our mindset. And and then we just have to go from there. So if anybody out there is considering starting their own business, um, stop waiting for the perfect moment because it's never going to come. <laughs> So true. Most most good business ideas die in the minds of the individual because there's never there's never enough gumption to pull that trigger. Nikki, where do you see you seven and a half years on your own? Seven and a half years into the future, where is this business taking you? So, um, good question, Garland. I'm once again finding myself in a bit of crossroads as well. Um, during the pandemic, I was, I didn't want to waste a good pandemic. So I decided to use my time effectively and I explored the coaching arena and I was able to study a few coaching qualifications during that time. So as a result, I've um, introduced a new offering to the practice being that of financial coaching. So I say I'm at crossroads right now because, uh, you know, we're offering financial coaching, financial advice, and product implementation. So the team is definitely expanding to have people work in the different areas of the team. But also I find myself wondering, where do I find myself more attracted to? Is it the advice aspect or is it the coaching aspect, you know? So that is where my dilemma is and my crossroads. However, to my advantage is the fact that I am the founder of the practice, right? So I need not work in the practice. I can choose whichever role I want 
and employ everyone to do the rest. So that is what I'm currently doing. But um, the reason why I, I use the words crossroads and dilemma is because in South Africa, financial services is highly regulated. The requirements to operate as a financial coach is very different to the requirements to operate as a certified financial planner and run a financial services practice, right? So on one end, there's the freedom of going into an area where you do not have to worry about the regulatory aspects, as well as the costs and the burden associated with it. And on the other hand, you've got the side which is very highly regulated, but I've still been able to earn a decent living out of it. And that is where my roots come from, you know, and I can still and my team still continues within this business. So in seven and a half years time, you know, it's either going to be one of two things. The business will continue as is, but I will be specialized in one particular area and the team will deal with the other aspects of the business. Or alternatively, I may actually look at unbundling the business, separating it into two different businesses where one is purely financial planning and the other is purely coaching. Okay. So uncertainty, but what I'm pretty clear about is my life purpose. I will continue serving people. I will continue trying to make a difference in people's lives. But whether I do it on the advice side or the coaching side, that aspect I'm, so, I'm uncertain of at this point in time. Okay. All right, Nikki. You're standing on a world stage and you have a, a bunch of university girls standing in front of you they got you're sitting on the edge of their seats what advice would you give them well i'm almost tempted to go with the generic a man's not your financial plan but i'm going to stay away from you, that. You can, you're not offending me <laughs> but i'm um, rather the message that i'd give to um to young ladies is to say that financial financial independence is not a luxury, it is a necessity, right? Don't feel daunted about managing finance or, or thinking that you need to have a degree in finance or become a certified financial planner in order to be able to successfully manage your finances. No, just have the awareness to know that help is out there. So whether you choose to um, work with a certified financial planner, a financial coach, or whomever you choose, know that help is available. But the message is quite important. Financial independence is a necessity. Beautiful. Mic drop. Greer, any parting comments, questions for Nikki? I mean, I could probably continue this conversation for another hour if I really wanted to. I, a, a lot of this really resonates with me. I still struggle with my own finances sometimes as a business owner in the financial services industry. And it was because I was not taught by my parents how to manage money. Um, my father was a business owner um, and you know, I look at their lives now and they've, it's all worked out just fine because my dad is someone who worked really, really, really hard. Um, but 
he still didn't have the structures in place and the things that were created to make the management of finances easier. And so I never really got that education. It was never really something that I pursued in school. And when I started in the financial services industry, I think I felt very out of place when I began in it because I didn't understand it myself. So I've tried to educate myself over the years. I still have a long way to go, but I do look back on my life as a young woman and think to myself, the, this kind of education would have really done me a lot of good. And it really would have probably changed my path quite a bit. Um, you know, I'm still getting there on my own, but I just, I think back and I think that is something that should be taught everywhere. It should be, it, it should be something that is taught in schools. It should be something that everyone is learning so that they don't have these issues as adults in the future. And so um, I think what you're doing is extremely important, extremely valuable, and I want to help in any way that I can spread the word to as many people as possible, not just how to find it for themselves, but you know the coaching part of it as well, to, to really coach people on how to teach others this as well, because um, the more people that know, the better we'll all be. So I'm sorry, where, was I supposed to ask a question? <laughs> <laughs> no, I said, do you have any party comments or a question? You're absolutely fine. <laughs> uh, these conversations are bringing up a lot and I'm, you know, it's, it's really good. So um, thank you for your contribution to the industry and to women in general. Garland. I just think about the ripple effect that you're having, Nikki, because um, for every person that you not only educate, but also entice to become an advisor themselves, they then go out and do the same thing. So it's it's not one plus one. Um, it's a magnitude of people that you're, you're ultimately going to reach. So I would say continue in that endeavor. And maybe you all by yourself could be the genesis of this change that we so desperately need in this industry of having more inclusion and certainly more women um, that are part of our business. Well said, Garland. Miss Nikki, any closing comments or things that you'd like to share? Um, yeah, I'd like to maybe share something. Um, you know, as you've heard, I mean, this whole aspect in, in terms of just finances personally started at a very young age for me with the loss of my dad and uh, watching my mom at a very young age struggle uh, with the management of finances because she was she she wasn't financially literate and my dad took care of everything you know and i found that as i've grown in my journey uh from from you know studying going into a corporate being a certified financial planner working with clients in a corporate exiting into my own practice and just also finding my way both as a business owner and also the type of practice that i've set up you know, it's, it's, it's been quite a journey for me, very personal to my heart, because I believe that I truly am living my life purpose. But as I continue my journey, that was when I found the coaching aspect and I realized the benefit of actually incorporating financial coaching within a discussion with clients. And I've recently found the Money Coaching Institute, which is based in the States, it's founded by a wonderful lady by the name of Deborah Price. And I'm uncertain if you're aware of her work, 
but I'm now a student at the Money Coaching Institute and uh, I'm studying towards my qualification as a certified money coach. So the Money Coaching Institute specifically deals around an individual's behavior specifically around money. And for me, I feel like that is the absolute final link that I need in terms of working with clients and creating the difference. You know, I love what we do as certified financial planners. I'm very strong technically, and I've delivered some of the most amazing plans to clients. And I've often wondered or got so disappointed when I see that clients do not, do not stay the course. They do not keep to their plan. And I find, and I'd find myself thinking, oh, maybe the problem is me. Maybe I've done something wrong. You know, um, I'm responsible and accountable like that. But I realize it's because of the behavioral aspect of it. And I believe that the work that Deborah is doing at the Money Coaching Institute and the work that I will be able to do once I successfully get accredited will totally revolutionize my practice. And what is it that I'll be able to deliver to clients going forward? Thank you. I, I, I just want to say something that resonated with me, and you've said it several times during this session, if I can just reach one person. Several times, can I, if I can just reach one person. Uh, I want to thank you for your time today. Um, I know it's afternoon over in South Africa. Um, we really appreciate your insights, um, especially um, talking about your journey um, in a male, white male dominated world and where you are right now. Um, I will leave this parting statement with everyone. Whoever watch, watches this, wherever you are, just make an impact in at least the life of one person. You never know, like Garland said, the ripple effect in that. So this has been another journey, the Financial Advisor Experience Podcast. Tune in, like, follow, share. Even if you know someone that should be a guest on the show, reach out to one of us. Take care, everyone. God bless. All the best. Thank you. Bye.